0: Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, Ocalagrace.org. I was part of a men's retreat in Indiana one night, and I guess it's the cool new thing. You do those really late at night, and you get all these guys together, and we did. We, we played tug-of-war, and I've never seen it before like this. It was four ways. You had uh, two ropes that were connected in the middle, but they split us into four teams. And you know, every time you play tug-of-war, you put all the horsepower on one team for some reason. And then the other, tree, the other team tries to find a tree to tie it to, so they wear them out. Well, sure enough, <clears throat> I'm out there doing this, this four-way tug-of-war in the middle of this field. And the, there was this one team that was stacked. And every time they'd say, go, oh, my gosh, we'd go sliding on our face, holding onto this rope, trying to pull against them. Well, there was another pastor there that got the idea of Philippians down pat. So the next time, when it came time to yell, go, the two teams on the wings came together and joined the other team, and we drugged those big boys all over the ER, all over that field, giggling, and then we wanted to do it again, do it again, do it again, but it was so much fun, as four people, four teams pulling against each other, with one team that was super loaded, we were whooped. But as soon as that those two on the outside folded down, and we all three teams pulled against one, the results were actually fairly humorous, and proved the point. So, as we play this tug of war of life, and when we did this with the kids, how then do we do that? Do we do it on our own, on our own time, on our own, like what we want to do when we want to do it, or how do we work as a church body? In a unified manner that actually matters. And for what purpose? This morning we're going to find that unity is found by following Jesus' example of humility. Unity is found by following Jesus' example of humility. You'll turn to Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. If there's any, if there's any, any comfort that you ever re- received from following Jesus, if there's any encouragement, if you found any relief whatsoever in today's harsh world, By finding that Jesus is your Messiah, your Savior, your anointed one today. If there's any consolation, any comfort in times of bitter disappointment, if any sweet participation in the fellowship that you have with God and His Holy Spirit, there's ever been any good interaction between you and God of the universe because your relationship with God if there's any deep internal affections, your love, your compassion that you might have today, then by all means have the same thinking, Paul says. If any of this over here has ever been prevalent in your life or you've ever known it, then please have the same thinking, have the same mindset. You've got to be unified. Look at what you're unified in one love. Pastor Michael has led us in singing about it. We've read this scripture and I'll read it again. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for, the, for our brothers. You see a need, you meet a need without expecting anything in return. A love that is steadfast regardless of the return on investment. it's always steady. That is the example that God gave us. And when he says love one another, that's the definition he uses. So if there's any time that you received anything from God, anything sweet from having a relationship with him, then please be unified. Unified by what? One love, one spirit, one source of character that comes from the inside that works its way out into the hands. The one spirit idea is everything that comes out of your hands has come from the inside. It's not behavioral modification. It's what has to come out because it's boiling inside. One mind. And he comes back to the same idea, the same thinking. The goal has been established. Be discipled. Be equipped. Be trained. Every single person who calls out to the name of Jesus ought to be sent out, should be sending out, should be going to be a spiritual parent to another person in the faith. That's our goal. The goal has been established to use our spiritual gifts also for the edification, for each other. God did, when we come to know Him, He gives us our own spiritual gift. And those aren't just for us to use for me. But for whom? The body. The body. Everybody, you're being specially gifted with something that God has given you that is not just for you, but for everybody else. Why? So they can be built up then to serve one another, to serve each other in their community. God gives us gifts, not for us, but for others. And he says, be like Jesus. It's more than just what would Jesus say. What would Jesus do? Be like him. He did everything he did to glorify the Father in the making of disciples and into serving others. This past week, I got to spend time in Philadelphia. Now, the guy you see up there is incredibly unique. That is Ed Lewis. And I'm going to try to do my best impersonation, and hopefully this isn't being recorded. Hi, guys, how are you doing? It's 11 o'clock at night. He's 70 years old. He is, oh my gosh, the energy that's in this guy is off the charts. I can't imagine what his parents went through when he was a teenager or a small child. But this man took a group of pastors all week and said, hey, now you've been trained. Now follow me as we go out and do this. This guy would walk up to a homeless junkie and say, how are you doing? And for some reason, they didn't jump at him. This whole community of the worst place in Philadelphia, in fact, the worst place in the nation for heroin, is right there where he has chosen to live. He moved out of peaceful Indiana out in the middle of nowhere where he owns a house on a lake to, right, he has an apartment right on the corner. As I spent time with Ed, I saw him love others without expecting anything in return. He would come out and say, Tommy, how are you doing? He's a local drug dealer that stands there on the corner every day. Can we have dinner tonight? I get off work at six. Okay, see you then. I watched him for three days do this over and over and again. I have not seen a guy that's that age with that much energy, that much passion to reach his community. He put us on a van at 11 o'clock at night, and I'll share this story some more in detail later. And at the end of this time, it's after midnight. Ed's driving, and he says, wasn't that fun? There's people my age that can't get to sleep and been worried about watching TV all night. I don't own a TV. I go out and do this every night. I'm like, are you real? I just wanted to touch him. And as I'm around people, and around people who don't know Jesus, watch them interact with him. Because he exudes it. And he gathers those people around him. This area has gone from what we have right here in Ocala. Okay? A church that everybody left because they didn't want to live in that neighborhood. It died. They came and replanted it, and Ed was on that team, and he said, we will reach our community where they are, and they've been doing it for 18 years. It's wild. I've never been in that kind of place in my life. Ed sees a need, meets a need without expecting anything in return. He has gathered around himself a team of people that are unified for the purpose of which God has given them there in the inner city of Philadelphia. They work on the basis of we will give to our community without expecting anything in return. And if you know anything about inner city anywhere, they are the biggest skeptics of anything in the world. So we need to be unified. Unified in humility. Pick up with me in verse 3 of chapter 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each, of you look, look, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. We've got to be unified in humility. We've got to set some things aside. If, you have any, if we have any selfish ambitions regarding our personal success, set that aside. Set aside notions that life, church, or following Jesus is essentially about you. what I get out of it big news of the day, and then about you you got to set that aside. You have to look for ways in which God has given you to work for the benefit of others. Use what the Holy Spirit has given to, to you that specific gift that you may edify, build up, and encourage others to literally live out their faith. We have to assess ourselves properly. That's the true definition of humility. Listen to me well. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. Oh, I'm just a bag of crap. No, it's thinking of yourself less. I'm not the main person of this story but properly assessing yourself said if you are in leadership then lead incredibly well the role God has given you in that role do it very well with humility you may be the boss but then lead in such a way as you are a great boss do not abscond your relationship or your responsibilities of being a boss if you are being trained then be incredibly be trained very very well Humility is assessing yourself appropriately. What is my role? Where do I fit in? And then how then do I turn around and train the next person? Only in church do we think we show up on the first couple weeks and we should be in charge of something. You go into the workforce and you show up and you're there on day two and you say, I want to be president. If you're a leader, lead well. If you're mentoring, then mentor well. If you're in training, then be trained well. Or if you're a trainer, then train well. Have the view that other people may have a higher value in things than yourself. Don't sweep away your personal value because Jesus kind of finds value in you. But Paul's just saying something crazy here. Think of people of having more value in this than I do. When the church body that gathers on a Sunday values their preferences more than reaching Jesus, they're on the way to the morgue. If what I want to happen here is more important than reaching those for Jesus, then we are on the way to the morgue. Go to downtown Philadelphia and see who shows up to church on Sunday because they are reaching into their community. Ed and the other people that work here have some really cool crazy stories. And they train their people really, really well. If a lesbian couple comes in and sits down, don't talk about that. Talk about, hey, how are you today? Meet them with love. Work to what it means to have a relationship with Jesus and we'll worry about the other things later. Yes, we will talk about what marriage is. But if you want to serve at their local church, theres f- you don't just sit there. You will interact and love people you will show that the value of them coming to your church body is more important than whatever you thought you wanted when you got in there this morning. If you wanted that seat and that's always your seat, this isn't the place for you. So as we come in here, if somebody were to come in off the street and not look like us, act like us, or quite frankly smell horrible because they haven't had a shower in six months, would you love them and have more value in them than you yourself? I can't wait for that to happen here yet again. It's basically others versus the me. Am I more important or others more important? Remember, view your interests healthily. You may be a leader. You may be somebody that we've given responsible to or you're growing in leadership to equip others, to train others, but have a healthy view of that be humble about it, but always have what you do in light of others. The spotlight isn't on you. Turn the spotlight to others. That's Ed Short and his wife, Carol. Ed is my trainer. He's my mentor. He's the guy that beats me up once a month. So we go to Philadelphia, and this guy have you ever been to a seminar or something where somebody backs a, a, a dump truck up and says, here's everything you need to know in 20 minutes? Boom! Ed's super intense. And his personality's intense, too. He's like, and I'm trying to take notes and we're trying to get all this in our head. Well, he's been a pastor for 30 years. There's been four local congregations across the East Coast that he's gone to, and he calls them turnaround churches. They were once dead on the way to the morgue, he comes in and turns them around and says, hey, we're going to serve the community and each other in a way that represents Jesus. Tough guy. Strict guy. Every week, Pastor Michael and Pastor Ryan know after we get done talking to him, after I get done talking to him, we'll have homework. Here's the cool thing about Ed. He's good at what he does. He's intense about what he does. And he loves us while he's doing it. Then when it came time to serve with Ed Lewis, the first guy, guess who went with us? Ed did. Yes, he is humble. He understands his role. He understands what God has given him, and he's a very good train tr- trainer, mentor, hard-nosed tr- guy. But when it came time to serve, he jumped in line with the rest of us, and we went down and served. Was it out of Ed's comfort zone? Yes, it was. But when we got done about 1 o'clock in the morning, he says, guys, that's ministry. He did it with us. Isn't you get my picture of here what it means to be humble not saying I'm a piece of junk and God doesn't love me and I just need to see myself beat up in a corner but no to see your role well and then to serve well with people in view of others alongside with others let's continue in Philippians pick up in chapter 5 or verse 5 Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the sun and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We have to be unified. We have to be unified in humility and got to be, we have to find our unity in following Jesus' example of that humility. You see everything that Jesus did there is set it aside, set aside, what he did, how he served. That's why we read 1 Peter 2.21. For this you have been called. You've been brought into a relationship with Jesus because he suffered for you, leaving you as an, leaving for you an example. Our boss got down in the trenches with us and did the same thing. He left that example so that what? We may follow in his steps. Who Jesus is. Look at verses 5 and 6 again. Having this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 6. Who was in the form of God. He was his God. Colossians 1.15-19 clearly spells that out. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus, God. It's one and the same. But check out verse 6. See where it says, a thing to be grasped? What in the world does that mean? He didn't think that was a thing to be grasped. Jesus did not consider his divine role in the Trinity as a personal trophy. Nanna, nanna, naner. I'm God's son, I'm Jesus, the Son of God. And you didn't see it as it spoils a personal relational victory. Do you ever know those people that get to know somebody just so they can exploit the relationship they have with somebody? Jesus didn't do that, and he was God from the beginning. He is the Father and I am the Son, but I'm not going to exploit that relationship. He did not demand the right because of his position. Or as the NIV states, something to be used for his own advantage. So you are a God. Your address is 100 God Street. Then how do you serve? What, ex- what example did he leave us? Look at verses 7 and 8. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in the human form, he humbled himself. Jesus voluntarily set aside his personal status. Do you see what he did? Jesus, God. What title did he specifically pick? Slave. Servant. He voluntarily set aside his own title of king and took on the role of slave. He voluntarily put on the robe of human flesh and did it in such a way that he looked like an ordinary average guy. Now, if I had to pick on what I wanted to look like, it wouldn't necessarily be like this. Jesus picked what he wanted to look like when he took on the robe of flesh, and he looked like an ordinary average guy. If we could pick what we wanted to look like, we would look through the magazine and say, Oh, I want to look like that. I want to look like that. And we spend most of our lives looking, trying to look like what we don't look like. But Jesus set aside his status as king and took on the title of a slave. Set aside whatever he looked like and said, I want to just look like an ordinary average guy when I get there. And he humiliated himself. In obedience to the Father, Jesus voluntarily humiliated himself all for the Father's glory. This is a different term. I picked it specifically so you understand the difference between humility and humiliation. Humiliation. He took it one step farther farther and said, hey, I want to follow the Father so well and bring glory to Him that I will allow my personal reputation to be tarred all for the name of my Father. I'm going to be so obedient to Him that He receives all the glory for what I'm about to do. He humiliated Himself to the point of dying. God voluntarily died. Wrap your head around that for just two seconds. And not only did he die, but he died on the cross. Why is that repeated? Because it was the most humiliating way of being killed at the time. And he did it for the Father's glory. Your salvation is a byproduct of Jesus' obedience to the Father. Jesus dying on the cross is primarily about being obedient to the Father and what he asked him to do. The byproduct of that is your salvation. News alert Jesus on the cross isn't all about you. What? This is crazy talk. You may have never heard this before. Yes, it's incredibly cool. Jesus died for you, took care of your sins, and wants to have an eternal relationship with you, beginning now all the way into eternity. That's awesome stuff. But we miss the fact that the why he came as the Father said, I want to have a relationship with these people. You go. Okay. I will be obedient to you. I will bring glory to your name. That's why we read in John 12 this morning. Because Jesus says, but for this purpose I have come to this hour, the cross. Father, glorify your name. And the voice from heaven responds, I have. And I will glorify it again. Jesus' example of who gives the honor. Look in verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father who is it that gives the glory here who is it that assigns the esteem who is it that assigns all the honor the father because of the son's obedience Jesus allows the father to assign him the honor What was his from creation, what was Jesus from creation to own, he allows the Father to assign to him. It allows the Father to grant the reward. And what reward did the Father give his son? The highest name. The name of God is really lost in our society. However, as we study the Bible from front to back, there are many instances where, where just the particular name of God is used, that is incredibly important. In fact, to this day, there are Jews who will not say a particular name of God because the reputation of it is so big. Name is connected with reputation, honor, and esteem. So, in all the light of that, we see not only does the Father give Jesus the honor, But he gives him the reputation that is above every single name that's ever been given on earth, above earth, and under earth. That's everything ever created. Satan himself to a demon, to an angel, to everything in the world. Above the world, in the world. God assigns to him that name. And it's a name that is so powerful. Look, what happens when it's just spoken? You might hate God. Satan himself, when this name will be spoken, will bow his knee. Boom. Kind of don't want to break this to you, but when the last days of judgment, when there's no debate with lawyers and stuff with God, Satan will appear before him one day and they'll just speak Jesus' name, boom, immediately to his knees. Not only will they physically respond, but their tongues will. Confess what? Jesus is Lord. The mission we have as a local body is to bring the good news of Jesus before that time. Will you confess him now when it works on faith? You won't need any faith when he's sitting right there and he says it. But right now you gotta take it on faith. Do you believe that God says is true? Is actually true. All for the Father's glory. See, at the very end, to the glory of God the Father. Humbles himself, dies, dies horribly. God says, hey, I'll give you honor for glorifying me, and he does. And then every tongue confesses because of what he has done, and then all for what purpose? Back again to the top. For what? Honor the Father. We find unity by following Jesus' example of humility. We love unity. We want to be unified. We've got to follow Jesus' example for this. God is calling, no, declaring, be unified. God requires us to be unified in biblical humility. God led by example. Jesus experienced this sermon in every facet of his life. So we got to be unified. Philippians 2, 1 through 2. We got to be unified by being humble. Philippians 2, 3 through 4. We got to be unified by following Jesus' example. How are we going to do this? Ask yourself right now how will I be unified and humbly follow Jesus' example? Think on your connection card. There's a point where you get to interact. I bring up this idea as one way to get your mind thinking. Write on your connection card here's one way that I will serve somebody else in the local body. When I'm talking about one another, I'm talking about the local church. How will we, how will you, how will I serve this week to illustrate what we have learned this morning? Pick one facet in which you do, write that down for us. Pick that one facet in which, hey, I would like to do this. This is inward focus. This is what we're going to do for our local body. How will we? Because this is really hard for me to write. I'm like, how will I? It's kind of singular. How will I be unified? How will we be unified? How will Grace Church of Ocala be unified to humbly follow Jesus' example? Got an idea. You'll see it over here. Here's a literal means in which we've thought through as a leadership team and how do we impact our community for Jesus. These, this is a, When I was in Philadelphia, we gave these away to the homeless. It's got toothbrush, toothpaste, chapstick, uh, gum, deodorant. We like to make these. So this way, each of us can participate by building these. It's not coming out of the church budget. We will do this as a body. You want to buy them, offering? Oh, you want one? <laughs> Good. So, you know, like the little hotel soap things, you know? Collect those. Then we're going to put these together. So somebody needs to buy the bags. Somebody needs to buy the chapstick. And there's a list over there where you can sign up. Then literally bring it next Sunday, and we'll put these together. These are pretty cool. It says, I love you. Here's how. Can I pray for you? Now, here's the other thing. We would like to put a Bible in here. Pastor Mike, we grab one of those Bibles. Now these are what we've bought before to give out. This doesn't fit into a gown or two glad bag very well. We'd like to buy something smaller. We're currently researching what that will look like, and we're not sure, but we know it's going to take money to buy these. So we're going to put a small Bible or a small pamphlet in the bag to give away as a community, and we need the money. These are envelopes for a special offering over and above what you already gave today. I marked them with a B for Bibles. If you would like to have these, get these, And then put it in the bag, in the basket, on your way out. So therefore, I've asked the ladies who count our money to let us know how much we have, so then we can order them. You see what I'm doing? We're taking this sermon, and we're going to put feet on it. And guess what the crazy part is going to be next? I want to ask us to go hand these out. I've started doing a little research of where the homeless are in Ocala, and Miss Deb found one yesterday because she never knows a stranger. OK, we will go there. We'll do this as a family. And we'll say, I love you. Jesus loves you. Can I pray for you? And then just let talk. And sometimes I did this in Philly. They go stream of consciousness like, OK, woo," because they're high or they're mentally not there. But they look and say, wow, somebody does love me. Then you start developing relationships. So here are these. First off, connection card. How will you be involved to serve the local body? How will you follow Jesus' example of humbly serving those who are here? Second, how will you, we together be unified to show Jesus' love to those who don't, we really wouldn't think about it? And we're going to do these gift bags. Do you understand what I'm asking? Action. Finding stuff in the house, combs, brushes, etc., to put into the bag for this week so next Sunday we will start building these up and then look in the Gazette and the Newsletter to see when we're going to go and do it thanks again for listening if you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard please visit our home on the web ocalagrace.org